So yeah, so I had a super weird dream. I guess it's not super weird. It's just kind of weird involving both of you guys last night. And TJ, you know my dreams can get kind of kind of weird. Um, but so I in the dream I woke up, and I had a text message. It was like eight forty-five or nine o'clock, and I had about. 15 or 16 text messages from both of you saying, where are you? We're doing the podcast now. Get your lazy ass here. Turn on your mic and let's get going. I'm like, oh, shoot. What's okay? And so I'm rushing. I, I get all the everything set up and I jump on and you guys are in the middle already of, of talking about something. And I'm trying to listen in and figure out. And so I just asked, like, so what, what are you guys talking about? And you guys were trying to figure out what grape soda tasted like. <laughs> Anthony was arguing that it tasted like some combination of raspberry, orange, and some... I, I forget what, what other flavor was thrown in there, but it was something to make it kind of sweeter. And TJ was just saying it tasted like blurple. <laughs> and you guys were going back and forth on this for like 15 minutes. And then I, I kind of, you know, pipe in. I was like, D- doesn't grape soda taste like grape? And both of you just go silent for a couple seconds. And then you start yelling at me. It's like, how could you be so freaking dumb, you idiot? This is, we spent years researching this, and you think you can just come in here and tell us what grape soda tastes like? You freaking noob, get out of this. You're you're off the podcast. Get out of here. Uh, And there was some way that you guys could, like, boot me from Discord. So you, like, hang up on me. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what just happened? And that's when I woke up. Part of this that that I think the most ridiculous part of this dream, because all of this could happen. I want this to be known that all of this very much could be a plausible thing, except for the idea that we would research for years for anything we put on this. The fact that we would research for more than like maybe 30 seconds for anything we put on this podcast, that's the most unbelievable part. That's here. really funny because the... How you described TJ describing grape soda is such a TJ way to describe things, too. Like, that is so perfect. It's just blurple. It's just blurple. It's also accurate. Grape soda does taste like blurple. The only podcast where you get to hear my soothing voice on Saturday mornings. Except we release it on Mondays, so it's Monday mornings that you can hear my soothing voice. First off, <laughs> why are you like this? Two, this is a podcast. People can just wait and listen to it on Saturday, too. So, Yeah, but why would you wait a whole week to listen to a sports podcast? I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll save some podcasts, because like, I... My off days are Monday, Tuesday, so I mean Q4 comes out on my off day, but I'll, and I I shamelessly admit that I listen oh, to the Q4 yeah. podcast. Yeah, and um, we release every one of our episodes contains time sensitive information. I highly doubt you that. have to I've... listen to you have to listen to our episodes as they come out, like immediately, because otherwise you won't. It'll be pointless. Like, what? Am I going to watch a news broadcast from 2005 just to get an update on what's going on? When I was no. dr- when I was driving up to Minnesota, I ran out of things to listen to, so I listened to like five episodes of Q4 in a row, dating from the most recent episode to episodes from like a year and a half ago. So you can 
heck right off there, TJ. Yeah, and which were more pertinent to your present situation, Noah? I don't know. I mean, like, like we say, this is a, a sports-adjacent podcast, so I was just listening if someone for, is for the good time. depending on this podcast for their up-to-date breaking news and high-quality information based around sports, they're mistaken already, I think, so... Right, we have spent. We are as reliable, well, if not more reliable, so is than Skip my left So I don't. We're at least at least that. We, we have spent <laughs> three years carefully cultivating a brand that says <laughs> yeah, "Do we've not tried take it seriously." Very hard and very little to make that happen. <laughs> I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but for the first four episodes, we literally called ourselves the idiots <laughs> in the descriptions of the podcast. This podcast, there's never been a podcast with more effort put into <laughs> keeping it low quality than Take this pride one. In that. <laughs> I highly doubt that because that low quality just comes from there being little effort. It's a confusing conundrum every time. Like what? We have, what, DJ, you said it takes about hour and a half, two hours to edit the show together? Yeah. Add in, what, about an hour, hour and a half recording time, so four hours. Uh, none of us do any research. So this podcast literally takes four hours to put together, most of which yeah. comes from TJ. So That's true. Some of the lowest production quality of any podcast out there. Uh, it's fun, though. Oh, yeah. It is fun. That is something. That's. I mean, that's the reason we do it. I don't think we're doing this for... Uh, high viewer numbers or anything. Oh, no. Particularly Considering since... our audience size of 17 is <laughs> small but mighty. And considering that half of that 17 is either on this show or is yeah. part of the Offside Sports Network. <laughs> yeah, if they're not on this show, they are adjacent to this show <laughs> and on the other show that we produce. Uh, which, wait, I don't think we've mentioned that on this show, but Q4 is now part of the Offside Sports Network. Get all of your sports content and more on the Offside Sports Network. I'm going to sell it, but I'm not going to work for it. Please don't. So Please don't go get, for uh, it if you want. Please don't get all of your sports content from the Offside Sports Network. You'll be... You're allowed to get sports content from one other, one yeah. other website. Choose wisely. If you choose Bleacher Report, they pull in content from a whole bunch of other sites. So I'd recommend that one. Wait. Okay. Now, now that you've mentioned that, what are the odds we work to get the Q4 podcast pulled in mm. to Bleacher Report? <laughs> are you, are, do, you, I, do you really want to go mainstream? <laughs> yes, of course I want to go mainstream. Can you imagine oh, this being our be day job? Pretty friggin' sweet. Yeah, that would... I, Except that'd, that'd be, be really... Awesome. It'd be hard to make a full-time like, job and still maintain the low effort and low quality, you know? <laughs> It'd be hard to make a full-time job out of something yeah. that takes maybe two hours a week. But you see that, <laughs> and that's like when we're trying. That's when we start do, uh, going into other brands of content because, uh, like, we have the website, and so we have written content and everything. So it wouldn't just have to be Q4 podcast that we did, and we could keep the the low budget, low effort, just like do that every day. And then spend the rest of the time, you know, writing and editing and, and other stuff. So I, I think it Okay, but what happens... Now, hear me out. Q4 Podcast becomes a multifaceted uh, entertainment yep. conglomerate, right? <laughs> and we have 
uh, five podcasts Monday through Friday, uh, all about different topics. Monday. Oh, so this sports. is this is Tuesday. Like fashion. Different podcasts. Wednesday. Not just different episodes food. of the same podcast. Food podcast is on Wednesday. Thursday, you guessed yep. it, space travel. And then Friday podcast is our uh, business analysis podcast where I tell you which stocks to buy. I can't think of anything worse for someone's investments than to listen to us talk about (laughs) what stocks to buy. I don't. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know about about both of your knowledge levels around that, but mine is as close to zero as possible. Same here. I, I. Recently started a 401k retirement plan, and that's like the extent of my, my knowledge about the stock market. I, I just started this investment app about a month before COVID started, so that was a really good start to all of this money that I put away for investments. I So I was in a similar boat where I had an investment app, and I was using it to save up for uh, the engagement ring that I purchased earlier this year. Uh, and I used the app to save up for it, pulled all of that money out, maybe oh, a month clutch. before everything crashed. So what, oh so, so are you saying that you started this uh, whole virus, TJ? Is that what you're doing? No, he didn't start the virus. He started the economic downturn. Mm. <laughs> yes, I sold $1,500 worth of stock. That, that, and that's what that was the tipping the point right there. Economy. That was me. <laughs> the straw that broke the game's back i sold about like an eighth of a share of one company and everything tanked also eighth of a share for fifteen hundred dollars that's some expensive stock my friend yeah i purchased oh. uh stock in mars yeah. you know the planet you can it's publicly publicly traded now so you can just buy stock also. in mars and become a part owner of the planet Kind of like part owner of the Packers. I got a little sheet <laughs> and, of paper and everything. And it you means a square nothing. inch of Mars. I own a square inch of Mars. Okay, honestly, though, I would be much more tempted to do that. I know there was a yeah. company that was doing that, but it was fake. So I didn't... And I think it was for the but, moon, wasn't it? Yeah. But if if anyone's out there listening who are rich tech billionaires um, and plan to travel to Mars, a.k.a. Uh, anyone... In space travel, <clears throat> uh, sell me a plot of land on Mars. Thank you. <laughs> this has been TJ's business analysis podcast. We have sports to talk about. No, what are you? What are we talking about today? You have you have ideas. As always, it comes back to baseball. Uh, we're seeing some semblance of a deal get put together, and if you like, focus on the day to day. There's this big roller coaster where, like, the MLB MLB Players Association will pass something, and you have this high. It's like, oh my gosh, we're getting baseball back this season. And then someone reports, yeah, but the owners and the players are at odds with how they're going to get paid. And it comes down, it's like, oh my gosh, we're not going to have baseball this season. So I've been trying to avoid kind of that that roller coaster of emotion, but just objectively, this week has probably been the most productive, or at least the the most the the most movement has been shown this week in in a potential return to baseball. Uh, with a um, uh, medical uh, details being published about you know possible testing, whether or not the league would be shut down if a player tests positive. No, it would not. Um, just kind of everything. The, the plan is, is finally 
tangible. But money seems to be the biggest holdup right now in, de- in deciding uh, how the players get paid. The owners are proposing a 50-50 revenue split, which the players are not happy about because already back in March, the players and owners agreed to prorated salaries. So, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the players are playing 82 games, so most likely, based on that March agreement, they will get paid half of their salaries for the season, whereas the owners want to do that 50-50 revenue split, which will be significantly less than that. So I guess the, the, the main thing I wanted to talk about was just where do you guys think we are? Are you guys optimistic that we get baseball back this season? It's, it's really a day-by-day thing. And that's, you bring up a good point about what uh, I think a lot of people are forgetting about is that just because we have tests or whatever we have precautions doesn't mean that everyone's going to be super excited about getting back on the field. Like, I was talking to my brother yesterday, and they were talking about people going back to work and like people going back into the office. And there was, they, his company had sent out a survey and they said, would you like feel comfortable about going back in the office? Because just because the office, the office opens up doesn't mean that they can just like force everyone to go back into it. So there's my reason for bringing this up is that I don't know if there's like, I would say the majority of players want to get out there and play, but also they're very concerned about their money and their, their livelihoods. So it's it's really tough to just say, okay, MLB starting, everyone play, here we go, back to normal, because it, it's just not going to look like that this year. So I think we'll have a season, but it's not going to look anything like baseball has looked before. It's going to have to be shortened. Um, people are going to get paid different amounts. There's going to be big stories about people saying, you know what, screw it, like I'm going to retire, it's not worth it, or it's, it's just going to be a lot of learning and a lot of changes, but... It's just what has to happen if we want to get baseball. It's not going to be normal. I think that's the the biggest thing. And I think one of the biggest things to remember, too, is, you know, no baseball means nobody gets paid. And so while players and owners are disagreeing on who gets what amount of money, I think if they don't come to an agreement and there there is no baseball, Nobody will be getting paid anything. And Rob Manfred earlier this week was saying uh, that, you know, all of Major League Baseball could lose up to $4 billion in lost revenue if they do not have a season. So I think that's that's been kind of my, it sounds kind of cynical, but my main point of hope <laughs> is that people want to get paid. People want to, to get their money. And it's in the best interest of both the owners and the players to get a deal done because at least then they would get some money as opposed to yeah. To I mean, that's when you think about sports at a, on a professional level, it's all about the money, and the owners want everything to to get going so that they can bring in those streams of revenue, right? But at the same time, they're not willing to do it at any cost like they need to do it in a way that they can get money and then the players are saying well hey wait a second like we need to get money too so it's it's a lot about money and figuring out the safest way and you bring up some good points too like what does someone test positive for it is their team are, are they like suspended do they not play is the whole season being shut down is that division being shut or like the the split half and half thing is one conference or division i don't know what they would call it is is that being shut down there's a lot of questions that 
have yet to be answered. And so I, at least for that specific question, I think the answer there, they, they outlined that in their most recent proposal that the owner sent to the Players Association. If a player tests positive, uh, the, the team will not be shut down. The season will not be shut down. That player will be quarantined uh, and will not be eligible to return until they test hmm. negative okay. twice. Um, and so on top of that as well, Rob Manfred said they will not force players to come back. But in a way, I feel like both of those issues are messing with the competitive balance because, you know, we've used this example before on the show, but what if Mike Trout gets or tests positive and he's out for two weeks? The season still continues. They're not pausing play. And it's like, oh, sorry, Angels. You can't use the best player in baseball for two yep. weeks. Sucks. Tough luck. Or, you know, what if, what if there's a player who's not comfortable with coming back? But season still resumes. Like, oh, sorry, Twins. Uh, half your starting rotation doesn't feel safe, and they don't want to come back. But we're still playing, so looks yeah. like you got to deal so, with that. So beyond just the financial issues, and there are plenty of those, th- this, this whole season is contingent upon players being willing to sacrifice their health and their safety to play the game. And that just feels... Yeah. weird and, and wrong i guess you're requiring players to come back without requiring players to come back you know like you're absolutely it's, it's a catch-22 there's that's a really tough decision especially for like you bring up mike trout and i'd like to look at the other end how about the guy that's been working you know through the minor leagues for six years and he's finally getting his chance and he's maybe up here for like half the season that guy's gonna want to play because he's gonna want to get every every ounce of MLB experience that he can but at the same time he's putting himself in in danger he's putting his family in danger um there's just so many different possible negatives that could that could come of it but the grand positive is that we get baseball right and I don't really care what it looks like as long as there's baseball happening And I think it's been easy for for fans and for people to kind of vilify the owners' side of things, because I mean that mm-hmm. that's usually what we do. <laughs> it's usually correct to do so. Uh, I mean, the other <laughs> thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Stan. <laughs> we'll come to that later. But yeah. um, asking the NFL for five hundred million dollars uh, to help out with the stadium is just it looks bad. And it's gross. Uh, so most of the time, you know, as as the rest of the 99% looking at people with billions of dollars, you know, trying to, you know, save money wherever they can or tell people that they're getting paid less or whatever, it's easy to kind of say, oh, well, gross. You guys are just greedy billionaires, so heck off. But looking at these financial negotiations uh, and trying to do the 50-50 revenue split uh, as opposed to prorated salaries, I can kind of understand where owners are coming from because it's not just the players that they have to take care of. It's all of the the game day workers and the the grounds crew staff and, and everybody who works at that ballpark. I mean, these owners still have to pay their 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 workers. They have to pay their employees. And yes, that includes the baseball players, but it's not limited to them as well. And you've seen teams across the league having to to furlough staff or say anybody making a certain amount of money you're going to get like this percentage of a pay cut i think it was the mariners um anybody making over sixty thousand dollars in the organization is getting a 40 percent pay cut and so 
I understand that the players want to get paid, that they're the ones risking their, their health and their safety to, to put this on. Uh, and so I understand where they're coming from, but I also understand where the owners are coming from at this point too, um, where, yeah, they, it could be greed as well, but also they want to pay all of their employees because their employees are also going to have to be at the stadiums to run the games and they'd yeah. be putting their lives at risk too. So I, it's, I can't fall back on the ew gross owners should, uh, uh, give in to the, to the noble players, it, it's both sides have have valid arguments and so it just makes trying to analyze and figure out what what's going to happen here just makes and it that sacrifices much more are going to need to be made on both sides that's just how it's going to have to work i mean it's players aren't going to get paid as much as they wanted to owners aren't going to make as much as they wanted to it's just how it's going to have to be in this time so hopefully they can come to an agreement and come to one soon and it, it seems like people are mostly optimistic that there will be a season this year, but there still is that that non-zero chance that we yeah. will not have baseball this season. There are still enough things in play that could, you know, cause hiccups in the negotiations where everything falls apart and we don't have baseball this year. So that is still a very real possibility. Uh, and I think it was it was a one of ESPN's baseball writers uh, was writing about the the proposal and just said you know don't be a, a prisoner to the day to day you know don't get caught too caught up in the 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 overall like the the the, the headlines from that day like I said it's it's that roller coaster where one day you're feeling on top of the world it's like yes we're getting baseball back and then you're back in the in the in the basement it's like shoot no we're not this this sucks we're not getting baseball till next year it, it's best just not to try and focus on that too much and just let it all play out and once everything is resolved then you can be happy or be sad depending on the on the outlook but it, it, it's a waste of time to try and figure out where things are going right now yeah i had nothing to add to this conversation <laughs> but i just want to say uh <laughs> Nothing. I was hoping something would come to me by the end of that sentence, but it didn't. Anthony, TJ and I were talking about this last night, but it's uh, in terms of comedy, where it's like where you, you try and start a joke uh, because the, it, the timing is right, uh, but you don't have a punchline yet, so you're, you're telling this joke with the hopes that something comes to you, and when it doesn't, you just sit there and you're fumbling around for 15 seconds, and then it's just even worse than if you had said <laughs> nothing at, at all, so... Every joke I have is a work it's in progress. It's just a matter of if I find the means to actually end the joke or not. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> a joke is all about the setup, right? Payoff is not. Well, at least that's what I like to tell myself. Sure. Yeah. Oh, no. You you mentioned Stan Kroenke. Oh, I know you want gosh. to talk about Stan Kroenke. So let's talk about, first of all, uh, graphic designer TJ is going to come out here for a moment and say that the Rams officially have the single worst uniforms oh my gosh, I in the National Football that. League. They are awful. I <laughs> almost vomited when I saw the bone uniform. Yeah, the off-white uniform the away with a different shade of white for the patches on the shoulders and the chest. The away uniforms are single-handedly the worst NFL uniforms I have ever seen. Like, I combine this with the plastic numbers Ugh. that on the home uniforms are gradient from off-white yeah. to yellow. Ugh. I think 
I think the home uniforms are, they're not great, but they're passable. I, I definitely put them ahead of, of uniforms like, you know, the, the Packers 1920s uniforms or this. Okay, or, no, 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 you can't. I, okay. I'm, I'm just saying. Here's it, the it, thing. I, I, we cannot be ranking a home uniform. I, I'm just saying. Against an alternate uniform from another team. Like, I, this is I, the uniform that the Rams will be playing eight I, 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 games in. I'm just saying. It is not the single worst uniform I have seen. It is not great, but it's not like I want to claw my eyes out every time I see it. The The home uniforms are meh at best, yep. bad at worst. That's fair. The away uniforms, the bone-colored uniforms, are absolutely an atrocity. If the, if the Rams uniforms, if the home uniforms get a 6.5 out of 24... The away uniforms get yeah. a negative two out of twenty-four. It's oh, this is all—it's all coming on the heels of so the two LA teams, Los Angeles Chargers, Los Angeles Rams. All right, the Chargers for the last two or three years have been undergoing a major rebrand. They have been going as a young, hip, flashy LA team, and in my opinion, it works. Their social media team, their PR team. They're uh, really everything media related about the Chargers and now their uniforms. Everything about it screams young LA, right? Like it is, it is flashy, it is crisp, it's modern, and it's brightly colored. It's sort of Miami-ish in that it really is channeling kind of the idea of the city. The Rams are trying that as well. And it is not going nearly as well. And I think the main difference between those two, if you look, the uh, the Chargers have six different uniforms. They have their home, their away, their alternates, and then different pants variations for the, the home and away. All of those uniforms look really good because they embrace the history of the organization. You can see touches from uniforms of the past thrown in there. They're all crisp, they're all clean, and they're all representative of the Chargers. It, it, it falls into that identity while still bringing in that, that fresh, young, kind of flashy perspective that TJ was talking about. The Rams have gone on record saying that they want to forget all of their St. Louis history. They want to start a new chapter. And aside from me being a St. Louis sports fan, why would you want to forget the only period in your history where you were consistently successful? Sure, the the last decade in St. Louis was not great, but the Rams won their only Super Bowl in St. Louis. For the first five or seven years of their history, they were one of the best teams in the NFL. And even, you know, when they started to get bad is when they did a brand change themselves. The Rams switched from the yellow and blue to the golden blue right as they started getting bad. So that, that yellow and blue, that white and blue combination, those two combinations are only synonymous with Rams' success. So why would you want to forget that? Why would you want to forego that history? And so because of that, they're just kind of lost, and they're still trying to use the color schemes that they had, and, and they're trying to be fresh and hip uh, without embracing any of that. So I think it, the uniforms look lost. They look like a jumbled mess of trying to figure out a new identity while still playing in the parameters of the, the team's identity without relying on the team's identity if that makes sense at all and it's so confusing to me because 
teams that have had success before moving typically continue to like talk about the pre-move success and want to hold on to that pre-relocation identity like the twins the minnesota twins who have been in minnesota since what the 60s before then was 50s 60s uh still claim three world series because of the one they won in the 20s as the senators as they should like they they hold on to that because that that's the team that's what they were and they talk about it fondly they have senators 1961 they started in minnesota by the way like they yep 1961 they started in minnesota like they they are proud of where they came from and that was 60 years ago that they moved and they still remember the identity that they had and the identity's changed so much since then um but they still look back on it they still talk about it they still hold on to it and i think what and throwing out the st louis part of the rams a when there is a los angeles team that uh is better in uh every way aesthetically speaking um it's not smart it's especially less smart yeah when your new uniforms are bad and i think it's just bad I think what makes this even worse is that if you look at the rams throwback uniforms the uniforms they wore when they were originally in los angeles and when they first moved to st louis are some of the best throwback uniforms the nfl has ever seen those blue and yellow the, the royal blue the yellow uniforms, the white, and the navy uniforms. Go back, look at any of those pictures from the 60s through the early 90s. Sorry, the late 90s. You will not find better uniforms than those. And so you still have that L.A. history that you can go back to, so why not re-embrace that, modernize those old uniforms, because those are crisp. It, it pains me to say that the L.A. Unif- uh, the LA Rams uniforms looked good, <laughs> but they did. So use that. It's part of your L.A. That identity. Was, yeah. uh, that was my other issue with it, especially uh, comparing them to the Chargers again, because they're the two L.A. teams. The Chargers have gone and really embraced their L.A. history, Right. Like, even last year, the shield on the center of the field was their original logo from way back when. So why do the Rams not embrace... Like, if you want to erase St. Louis, it's fine. Whatever. You're back to your roots. You're back to where you started. So embrace where you started. Like, rebranding completely, A, kills off your fan base because they didn't really have one to begin with, and now it just alienates more of them. Um, B makes you the laughing stock of the league especially when you're in the middle of a new stadium and asking for 500 million dollars more to finish it um, for some reason doing that in the middle of a global economic crisis <laughs> this is I didn't realize how many bad things were happening all at once <laughs> and this is coming this is coming after the quite possibly uh, quickest and uh most yeah. fiery fall from grace we've ever oh, seen wait. from a team after losing a Super Bowl, what was the final score? 10 to 3. Uh, and then finishing the next year in the middle of the league yeah. and then towards the bottom with the same team over the course of yeah, two years. It's a tough time for the Rams. What I what I don't get is so usually you have like the your team color 
as your home uniform and then some version of like a white for your away right like that's just kind of the go-to yeah mm-hmm. but when i just why the bone why not just that jersey would be so much better if it was just white like why is it like a khaki type color why that <laughs> and particularly because they have white accents yeah why would you why would you have sleeves. off-white and then white next to each other your off-white looks so poopy if it's next to white what and it's bad the other thing that just about this entire thing their their logo too like their logo and their jerseys is i feel like so it was one person who said, you know what, this looks good, we're done, I'm sending it in, perfect. And they didn't check it with anyone. At least I hope that's what happened. Because if they had a team of professional logo designers and graphic designers to put these things together, what is happening if there was multiple checks and balances here? Like, I hope to God it was only just one person who said, screw it, I'm doing it, I think it looks good. That's the thing, though. They they have embraced this, and so you you know that someone or some people mocked up these designs for both the logo and the uniforms, passed it on to their higher ups, and many people said, "Yes, this is good. Yeah, let's do this." Where literally everyone outside of that group is saying, "No, this is bad. Please stop this. Do not do this." particularly and it, it just going back on on what I've said before if you look back at the history of the Rams sure the the uh super realistic Rams logo from the 50s is kind of outdated but that the Ram logo that they had through uh I think it was what the the 90s through up until the the rebrand was actually I liked it I liked it a lot it was a just kind of a a classic sports logo and why you choose to get rid of that yeah. is beyond There's a me. lot of questionable things happening there. I would also like to make it known, as I'm sure it already is, but I need to like explicitly name it. Um, I'm okay with all of this. <laughs> I am very happy that the Rams, both on the field and off the field, are a total dumpster fire right now. Because Stan Kroenke deserves no more than that. <laughs> I'm I'm reading through the design briefs right now, you guys, okay? The the official statements by the team about what what is going on in these and it's 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 reminiscent of if you've ever read the two thousand eight Pepsi redesign design briefs, where like they had the Pepsi logo and then it was like talking about how the swoosh in the middle being at a 27.3% angle was symbolic of the unification of the world in the early 1900s or something like it was just <laughs> it was painful this is that level okay I'm, I'm reading this is the official statement of the Los Angeles Rams okay um Uh, SoFi Stadium is an iconic, transformative stadium that encouraged us to design uniforms as innovative as our new home, said Los Angeles Rams COO Kevin Demoff. 
Our new uniforms preserve the storied legacy of the Rams with the horns at the center of the design while introducing vibrant colors and groundbreaking materials. We are proud to unveil a modern look for our players to wear as we begin this exciting new era in Los Angeles. Uh, it goes on. <sighs> From, from design to color to fabrication, the Rams collaborated with Nike Global Identity Group and the National Football League. The color uniforms include a monochromatic look of a vibrant royal blue, as well as a set featuring the royal jersey paired with a yellow pant. The lighter uniform introduces a first-of-its-kind color called <laughs> Bone, which reflects the color of an actual ram's horn and the beaches of what? Los Angeles. It's just gross. Okay, okay. Why? I get the ram horn. I don't think there's a person in the universe that I, would look at that jersey and go, you know what? I've been to L.A. That reminds me of the beaches. What? The rams are unveiling their uniforms through a custom-created Snapchat augmented reality lens. Featuring the ability to trigger players into action. Oh, why? I hate everything about Stop the it. way they have gone about this. They, the Rams are the only team thinking, yes, this is the future. While the world watches them and says, yeah. what are you are they, doing? Are they not, like, in touch with anyone you know what i mean it seems like they're on their own little island out there and you're like oh and they're oh my gosh we're spearheading we're we're looking so good right here and everyone else is looking at them like hey guys what are these idiots doing right now like do they see themselves <laughs> because that's how i feel it is <laughs> i don't oh think i've heard gosh. more collective laughter from a a city than i have in the last year anytime you go to st louis just hundreds of thousands of people laughing constantly at the Rams right now because they are so bad. I, and that's what L.A. deserves because they told us that uh, – Stan Kroenke told us that the city couldn't support a winning team, so they were going to move to L.A. and promptly became a dumpster fire. So that's what they deserve. L.A. deserves a losing town because a losing team because St. Louis deserves better. Oh but yeah, go Chargers! Go Chargers! Yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta put that out there. Hashtag. I have, I have officially claimed the LA Chargers as mm. my AFC team. Um, sorry, Browns, but I, I gotta go Chargers. I just their, their rebrand has pulled me in. Like that's, that's the thing about a powerful rebrand, right? Like the, that's what you try to do when you're a, a team with. You know, a little bit less fans than maybe you would like. And you do a rebrand, and then it pulls people in. And people are excited about the Chargers. I'm excited about the Chargers. I'm like, yeah, well, even, let's go. Even looking back at the Rams, you know, back in, I think it was 2009 or 2010, they were having a redesign for their mascot. And they there was a, a, a citywide voting, uh, I guess, not a competition, but just a, a four-week-long voting process where pe they had five or six names selected and people could vote on the name that they wanted to do. And, of course, this was in the middle of uh, <laughs> one of the worst three-year stretches in all of professional football. Um, and so it was a way, a way to try and get fans back, and it worked. I mean, sure, the, it was still a bad team, but people were excited because, like, hey, we can interact with the team, engage with the team, and, and have our opinions known. 
And if you look, any rebrand or any launch, uh, you know, as, as a St. Louis fan, whether that be for the Battlehawks or for their new uh, Major League Soccer Club, or if you go around, just look at any team, uh, looking back at uh, Minnesota United when they came into existence a few years ago, pe- oh, yeah. people get excited when mm-hmm. there are new things coming out. Um, and TJ, I think you hit the nail on the head where the Chargers nailed it. They did a fantastic job, and the Rams completely, completely fumbled the ball there. Seriously. Yeah, but now I hate them, and it's always fun to hate new teams. You know, because they're they're it's the it's it really the polar is, opposite, right? Like, I and I, I am excited that you guys are finally on this bandwagon with me. I I don't know if you guys hate them as much as I do, but it's getting closer. It's not I can close. fe- it's not. I possible. can feel it. I can feel your <laughs> anger. It, <laughs> it just ah, uh, I I forget. I think one of you mentioned it on the show before. Uh, but just sharing a mutual hatred for a team is almost as good as sharing a oh, mutual yeah, love it's... for a team. It it has the same collective uh, bringing people together yeah, feeling. For sure. I'm glad we can hate collectively. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> can we make a hat? Anthony, did you... Oh, sorry. Oh. I was just going to say, we, can, hey. can we make a hashtag for the Chargers? Do, mm-hmm. do they deserve a hashtag for, for the show? Hmm. Zippy zap. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was gonna suggest something like just say hashtag. <laughs> I, I was about to get weird with it. We're gonna no, I give you a suggestion. I, well, now I feel embarrassed about mine because I was gonna say like the real LA team or something. But no, you guys, you guys go ahead. You guys are clearly more creative with this stuff than I, I just am, thought to so. the bolt. I'll just write it down. Whatever you guys come up with. Hmm. I don't know why my first instinct was hashtag mm. charge me. Hashtag <laughs> plug uh, me in. Which sounds... <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is taking a turn. We need to we need to get a better one out there. Uh, to, oh, come on! Out. We need to pull the plug on the... <laughs> Sorry! It wasn't meant to be oh. that way! <laughs> yeah, maybe... We gotta pull the plug on our Chargers discourse... And move on yeah, maybe, to a different segment. Maybe we shouldn't try and force yeah, that. It, it they need to right. come up organically. Um, speaking of organically, uh, there was some reports. This is terrible transition. This is like a this is like a three out of twenty four transition. <laughs> um, so about average for TJ. But uh, the, I just. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh snap! <laughs> wow. I, I saw a report. So the. Um, the ESPN docu-series, uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, I've been just like kid in a candy yeah. shop with that. Like that has been so entertaining to me uh, the past couple weeks. And the last last two episodes are tomorrow night, which I'm just pumped about. But um, super entertaining, super exciting. And I just saw a report. It was in the last couple of days it's come out from Michael Jordan's personal trainer about the infamous flu game. And how there's been debates like he had food poisoning, he had the flu, whatever. Um, the report said that he had that it was food poisoning. But I wanted to ask and just bring up like people playing through injuries or, or sicknesses or whatever. Have you guys ever had food poisoning? No, I have not. Yeah, because it's yes, it's it's like 
That's that's yes. great that you haven't, Noah, because it's like the worst. I don't know about your experience, TJ, but that was like the worst possible thing, and that doesn't even do it justice. It was like one of the worst days of my life. It was so bad. Yeah, so my food poisoning story is actually Please. really funny. I'm going to say it right now. Um, when I was still living in Minnesota, Lisa was still in Chicago. This was when I was in college, uh, my senior year. I had flown down there for a weekend, and we had a Jack's Pizza. Is what gave it to us. Oh, okay. gosh. Um, and when I was, like, ready to go, Lisa had gotten mm-hmm. it. Like, she was sick. And I was, we were thinking, oh, there's some stomach bug or just something going on um, because I was feeling fine. Um, and I left, went to the airport, got on the plane, I flew, I landed, I got home, and I proceeded to be unable to leave my bathroom for about yeah. 95% of the oh, next two oh days. Oh, gosh. Um, and I continue to count my blessings that it did not hit until I was home, <laughs> because if I was on that airplane, oh gosh, I, yeah. I, I don't know what would have happened. It, food poisoning, yeah, it's it is single handedly one of the worst. Like it's just, yeah. it's just bad. I I had a so unpleasant. I had a a, I guess a food poisoning food poisoning adjacent incident, where I was I traveled with the the St. Thomas women's basketball team. Because uh, they they made it to the final four that was being played out in Michigan, um, I think that was TJ. I think that was that our sophomore year. No, I think it was our, I think it was our uh, junior year. That was junior yeah. year, yeah. And I I was covering the the tournament for Tommy Media, and I I traveled with the team. You know, was was with the team for their practices and everything. Uh, and we all went to to dinner one night. Uh, I forget. I think it might have been an Olive Garden. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and I had. Um, had one of their their shrimp pastas and it was fantastic, but I think there was something in the seafood where I it, it wasn't food poisoning because I wasn't like spewing, but I just had the it, it was like a rock was in my stomach and it was being all twisted in knots like it was just super super painful. All night, I could not sleep. Uh, I, I threw up the next morning. Had a fever of like 102, um, and that that was that was the day of the tournament. So like, I had to go cover games starting, you know, four hours from then. Uh, and so I, I sent a text back to um, uh, <laughs> Professor O'Donnell because uh, he was uh, the lead TM advisor at that point. And I'm like, M.O.D., I'm, I'm sick, uh, throwing up, what, what do you want me to do? He was like, I don't care, <laughs> get the story done. I'm like, awesome. So, fortunately, Love that. and so I'm thankful that it wasn't food poisoning because there's no way I would, I would physically be able to go cover that game. I, I was miserable, I was sick, I tried to stay away from everyone because I didn't know if I was contagious, but I was still physically able to be on the sidelines, take photos, write a story, um, and, and get yeah. interviews afterward, but so so I, I don't think it was food poisoning, but it was definitely a food related illness. And yes, those are always always just because the worst. there's and and I'll get to my point here in a second. But the food is such a good thing; it just brings so much joy and oh, yes. so much happiness that when it turns against you, it's a very it's a very sobering <laughs> moment where you're just like all, all of my life I've depended on this delicious thing. yeah. 
been betrayed. <laughs> and it's turning by around and it is literally <laughs> erupting from inside me. Yes. Yeah. Revolting against your So body. I uh <laughs> I had one when I was I was sixteen and I had we had a golf tournament the day before and I played really bad. It was a thirty six hole tournament. So we played eighteen in the morning, eighteen in the afternoon. I played really bad and we went to KFC after and I just gorged myself oh, no. and then I was actually it was a day after oh. my sixteenth birthday. So the next day I was going to take my driver's test and i like could not move i it was either i was on the couch and then sprinting to the bathroom and then walking back and collapsing on the couch uh, like 15 times and i so i couldn't take my driver's test because i was so sick so as a 16 year old that's like the worst thing of all time right yeah and then you're just sitting there and you feel like crap but anyway i wanted to bring that up because um the report about Michael Jordan's flu game, right? If it was food poisoning. Like, Noah, you had, I don't want to downplay your, your circumstance, but you had a mild, a mild form of food poisoning. Can you even right. imagine playing, oh my gosh. doing a physical activity, running up and down a floor, playing for the majority of the game, and still being dominant in that state? Like, can, can you even, um, I, in my opinion, that's worse than the flu. I, I would rather have the oh, yeah. flu and have to play in a, in a basketball game than have food poisoning and have to play in a basketball game. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I, I have, as someone who has had both the flu and food poisoning, right? When you have the flu, you feel like trash. But, like, I can move from my couch to my kitchen to grab mm-hmm. a glass of tea. With food poisoning... Every movement is yes. a risk. <laughs> Every muscle that you shift is possible and capable of throwing yes. your it's equilibrium to the winds. <laughs> Every time. Like, moving your head to the right <laughs> could set off. This chain reaction inside oh, of you. Gosh. There is nothing you can do to stop it. And it is immediate. It does not wait. It's, it's so, like the migraine equivalent playing of with yeah. that. Playing a sport with food poisoning. Where literally shifting your weight can cause chaos. And, and just a horrific explosion in your stomach. Playing a sport and being good at it yeah. is unfathomable That's, to me. And and so the report, and, and then Bleacher, okay, the report was about the food poisoning from Michael Jordan's trainer, and then Bleacher Report came out with a post this morning um, on Instagram, and it was like highlighting these great sicknesses or injuries that athletes have had to overcome. So I just want to read through and see if there's any change in in magnitude. Because I read through these and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, what at the end? So just let me go through these. And I'm going to add my own in there, too. So the first one is Michael Jordan's, like, flu game or sickness, whatever. Um, I would also mm-hmm. kind of equate that to Dirk Nowitzki in, uh, I think it was 2011 finals against the Heat. Um, he was, like, super sick. Uh, he Every time he talked, he was coughing. Like, it was a, it was a cold, but it was, like, a, a pretty aggressive cold. And then... LeBron and D Wade were just like making fun of him, like, oh, <laughs> not very good. And then the Mavericks ended up winning that championship, which I think is great. 
the next thing on here is Serena Williams. <laughs> she had a quote flu game in the 2015 French Open. Um, she lost the first set and then won 10 consecutive games and ended up winning the French Open. Um, T.O. in that, when was that, 20, when he had the broken leg? 20-something yeah. earlier this, oh, 2004 it says here. Okay. Uh, so he had the broken leg and then he played in the Super Bowl and had like a bajillion yards and a bajillion catches. Um, those are both exact stats, by the way. Uh, Tiger Woods won the 2008 U.S. Open with a broken <laughs> leg and torn ACL. And then the last one here is the one that just kills me. And maybe I need to be more informed on this topic, but think about all those things we just talked about. And then the last post on here is Kurt Schilling's bloody sock game. Now, I don't know about you, ooh, ooh, yeah. but a cut on the ankle is a little bit different magnitude than a broken leg as a wide yeah. receiver. Is it not? Yeah. <laughs> he got a broken leg. He put the team like, on his back, what, though. It wasn't Kurt Schilling's thing just like he got cut and it was bleeding? How is that on yeah. the same magnitude yep. as someone having food poisoning playing in a game? That is. Well, don't you understand? It was like, it was, it was, it was a bad. But, dude, cut, I don't man. care if it was. It was like. Like maybe if his. It was a cut. Maybe if his foot was sawed was off, bleeding. that would go in there. But I don't know about a. Kurt <laughs> playing foot. an entire game with one foot. <laughs> it is li- like not just that he is missing a foot, but that he has recently <laughs> lost one and has not yet had time <laughs> and to go just saying, and find you know what? it. Uh, put a tourniquet on. I'm going back out there. <laughs> you know what? Screw it. Screw it. I'm going to play this game. I know my last pitch, I slipped a little bit, and it ended up tearing the lower half of my right leg off. I don't know. I, I just this I game. saw that this morning and laughed out loud. I'm like, how is that in the same category as those other ones? It was it was it a number no. ten kind of thing? Like they no. had to have ten. There were nine really good ones. There was, there was five. Just one they just needed to fill space. I, but see, there, there are so many others that you that you could put in there too. Like I, I just pulled up a list on on Bleacher Report from a couple of years ago, uh, and there's one a former St. Louis Cardinals safety Larry Wilson played a game with two broken wrists. Both of his wrists <laughs> were broken, and he managed to oh he managed to intercept no, the pass no. that game. Uh, I'm I'm yes, like me too. I'm cringing Ow. in my chair right now like I'm convulsing is, just thinking about that. There is uh, one where Donovan McNabb uh, broke his ankle uh, during a game in 2002 and still played through the rest of the game uh, th- went 20 for 25 uh, while throwing for four touchdowns uh, on a broken ankle uh, Jack Youngblood, former defensive end um, played uh, in the Super Bowl on a broken fibula how is that even um, possible? Oh my gosh! There, no. There's uh, the one that I always come back to is in 2012. Tony Romo, uh, on a sack, uh, broke his ribs and punctured yeah. his lung, uh, and still came back in and won the game uh, through the game-winning touchdown. Um, so yeah, so you have all of these, and then Kurt Schilling yeah. got a cut on his foot. <laughs> <It's> like even <laughs> even things like JJ Watt's broken yeah. nose, where it was just like. Yeah. gushing blood all over his or face. Or the same thing with uh, Ben Roethlisberger uh, in that uh, in that yeah. divisional round game where Haloti Nata just straight up punched him in the <laughs> face on a play. 
and had his nose broken. And so, like, he goes back on the sideline, and you can see the coach just, like, snap it back into place, and it's like, gushing blood all over the place. Like, that is there definitely was, a... Gosh, I'm I'm thinking now about... I, I won't be able to find it, if, even if I look for it, but there was a video I saw of sometime in the 90s... Uh, I think it was it was the Cowboys or the Lions or some team with that uniform looking silver and blue yep. um, that he the, like the defensive back landed weird on his leg, dislocated his knee mm. and fell to the ground. And one of his teammates ran over is like, "Are you okay?" And he just like rolled his hip a little bit. You saw it pop mm. back oh. into place, and then he nodded Man. and got That's up. Like, well, yeah, Kobe did that too like he dislocated his index finger uh, and he just walks over and he's like yeah pop it back in and then they snap it back in place and then he just starts walking back on the floor like if i dislocated a finger now <laughs> as someone who has who has dislocated joints i have dislocated my shoulder i have popped it back into place and i've continued playing in a sport but i have hyper flexible shoulders that dislocate easily yeah. other people do not like other people, they dislocate, and that, like it's a real thing. Also, yeah. a knee mm. is very yeah, different. Yeah. You got to run on that. You got to put weight on that. I could play an entire football game <laughs> with one arm because I was bad at football. <laughs> I, <laughs> you, you can't play an entire football game on one leg. I don't can't do that. These. I still go back <sighs> the. Whenever I talk about sports injuries, I think the first sports injury I saw happen in real time. I think it was either in 2009 or 2010. It was uh, the Vikings were playing. I forget what team. But EJ Henderson goes oh, to yeah. make a tackle. I know what you're talking about. And that's when he broke That's yeah. when he broke his fibula. And on the replay, you could yeah. see oh. his leg, like, spin through the <laughs> air in, like, bend the opposite direction. And I still uh. just... I, I have seen a lot of sports injuries since then. Uh, I think the, the Bears tight end a couple of seasons ago, there was a Cowboys receiver who dislocated his ankle on a play uh, a couple seasons ago as well. So like, I, there are a lot that stand up, but that E.J. Henderson one, I can just vividly see the slow-mo replay in my head, and I, my stomach turns every single time Did I think about it. Did you guys see the um, – this was a while back. I mean, probably – I think I was in high school. But um, Anderson Silva, the UFC fighter, uh, was mm-hmm. – no, you, oh, you've don't seen want to that, talk right? About this one, yeah. This one, this one hurts I, me. Oh, I so I was, I was actually. This was like the one time I'd ever gone to a UFC event, like at a Buffalo Wild Wings, to watch it there. And I was with my buddy. He, he's not the one who. Uh, he's not the one who drilled no. his own scrotum. Well, right? possibly, probably at some point. <laughs> but uh, no. I was going a different direction. <laughs> he goes for a. Oh no! He's he goes not. for a body kick or a leg kick, and I don't remember who the who he was fighting, but he like checked it, so he put his leg up, and Anderson Silva's shin comes into contact with the other guy's leg. Bottom half of Anderson Silva's leg continues to move. Top half stops right there, and you can the the grossest part is that you're you're watching this fight, and then all of a sudden you just hear it, like when you can audibly hear the <laughs> oh, no. bone disintegrating that is a mm. oh that is crazy and it just oh my god yeah okay this is i'm taking this a different direction but the, the most recent time uh there was a britney spears concert in which she broke her foot like a couple like maybe last year um 
where she was doing like she was dancing on stage and singing and she went up on the side of her foot and i only heard the audio on the radio i didn't even see the video but it just like like an audible oh yeah (laughs) and you can hear in the concert hall like oh my gosh (laughs) ah yeah, sorry. And now that was we're kind done of a gross turn. Done. Yeah. We're done describing injuries on uh, on our podcast, and I have one last thing I want to talk about. I just wanted to get a quick, quick final uh, discussion in because the NFL season, as far as we know, is going to happen. I'm holding out hope that it's going to happen. That everything will be fine by August. Holding out hope. This is not a logical hope, but it is yep. my hope. So I'm holding on to it. If it goes on as planned, there are multiple rookie quarterbacks that we have talked about uh, a lot. And I need to ask one question. Which rookie quarterback is going to have the best season? Are we talking about best individual statistic season or best overall team performance? Good question. You can factor in both if you desire. Uh, I'm going to leave that up to your own discretion. Hmm. So who... Because that is... How many are actually going to play and have an impact this year? I think... Well, we know Joe Burrow is going to start. Tua. Tua's... uh, Tua. Um, Um, Justin Herbert. Herbert. And I think those are the only three, right? Probably... Well, because you've got love in Green Bay. I, w- I would in love Philadelphia. Hurts in I would love Philly. if that love dude had an impact this season. I I want to go on the record and say I I would probably get a jersey if he had an impact this season. He would become my favorite player, ironically. Like Okay, so we have those three, but it's possible that we will see Hertz, because we've seen the backup quarterback for the Eagles every season the last three True. years mm-hmm. so it's possible we'll see hurts i don't think you can count on that though like for, for this exercise i think i'm gonna rule him out just because all right he is a bad hey, you do that if you want bud this is a free country you rule out jaylen hurts if you feel like it so who's your pick oh gosh. what do you got um i don't know i think herbert hubert or herbert I, th- I think Justin Herbert is in the best place to succeed team-wise because we've talked about it on the show before that the Chargers are actually a pretty talented team. They just got yeah. really unlucky last season, and the declining play of Phillip Rivers did not help with that at all. So I think Justin Herbert is in the best place to succeed team-wise, but he does have a lot of questions about his ability to develop into a pro-ready quarterback. The Chargers are going to have to work with him to make sure that he does. He's a high-risk, high-reward kind of guy. But I do think overall he is in the best position uh, to be set up for overall team success. Individually, success-wise, that, that, that's a hard one to go with because both uh, Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa have the, the tools they need to succeed. They're just in not great situations, both in, in Cincinnati and Miami. I think Joe Burrow is the most pro-ready quarterback out of all of them. So yeah, I think... Just by default, 
I'd have to go with with Joe Burrow in this situation. It, it's a close call between Joe and and Tua, but I I, I just think Joe Burrow is more pro ready at this point than uh, than Tua is. Yeah, I I completely agree that Justin Herbert doesn't have to do as much as the other two to have a successful team. Um, I think Joe Burrow has definitely has more pieces than Tua does. Um, but Herbert has the most and will have the easiest time, I would say, at least with the weapons he has around him. Um, as far as individual success goes, I'm hesitant to say this uh, because I, I guess I don't really know what Tua's mentality is, like what type of leader he is. Um, but I think he could have a very Kyler Murray-esque season in Miami. So... This isn't. I'm kind of like bending your question a little bit here, TJ. But I think this could be a really important season for him, and in Miami. And we might not see it as like an eight and eight Miami Dolphins team, but I think uh, uh, like a six and ten Miami Dolphins team would be a humongous improvement from where they were last year. And if they're in close games, then they could be in the conversation in the following year like the uh like the cardinals are now i don't know if that's making any sense but like last year kyler murray them kind of getting themselves together and now this year they're looking to actually be a threat i think that's the type of year that tua could have in miami so i would say um team success would probably be herbert in los angeles and then individual success i'm going to say tua because he's he's got to freaking do everything there if they want to be successful so that would be my pick i'm going to fall in line with that because justin herbert i think is in the best place for team success yes the los angeles chargers are the best of the three teams with new starting quarterbacks um joe burrow i think is good but joe burrow has the least amount of support of any quarterback in the league currently his his wide receivers are uh, AJ Green and Tyler Boyd right now? That's his one-two punch. So I it, th- th- combined with uh, a team that currently on their depth chart does not have a starting left guard listed, and their starting right guard is injured, and they do not have a backup list. <laughs> this team is a dumpster fire to the highest degree. Justin. No, sorry, uh, Joe Burrow. Gosh, Joe Burrow is going to need time because the team is going to be actively working against him this year. I can see Tua having a good year in Miami, but I'm actually think I'm going to go Justin Herbert best personal success and team success because he's got the most pieces around him. And as good of a quarterback as you can be, you cannot be, unless you are Tom Brady, you cannot be a high-caliber quarterback in the NFL without a sporting cast. Yeah, and I, I would say it's more it's more offensive line than it is wide receiver issues for Cincinnati. Because AJ Green yeah. is he's a top probably top ten wide receiver if he's healthy. Tyler Board, Tyler Board. Oh my God, Tyler! I got the <laughs> TJ effect going on. Tyler Boyd is. <laughs> I think a really good number two, like Tyler Boyd can, he can play. He's pretty good. But then after that, 
there's basically nothing. Like you have Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's a good running back. Giovanni Bernard's a capable backup. But then, like you said, the uh, the offensive line will be will be an issue because as we've seen in Minnesota, if a quarterback's under pressure, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. There and Joe Burrow is not going to be making people miss and running outside the pocket like someone like Tua is or someone like Russell Wilson or whatever. But I, I think it's more of an offensive line issue and a defensive issue. The wide receivers are fine, but yeah, it's going to be tough keeping Joe off the ground. It's it's interesting because Cincinnati, as you were talking about them, the best players on Cincinnati you have just listed as quote-unquote capable yeah you, you're right that is not a top tier that's true not offense. superstars capable meanwhile meanwhile you've got los angeles with keenan allen who is a superstar yeah i would put him in the top tier of wide receivers um they've got a good running game they've got a good offensive line i think that justin herbert is the most set up for personal success along with having a team that could potentially be a playoff contender i'm not going to say that they will be because i said that they will be last year and then they were tough division bad. too so yeah it's a tough division but i think i think he has the best team around him and i think that it's going to be beneficial for him on a personal success level as well my only hesitation with that is justin herbert also has the most questions as a quarterback so if he develops the way that the chargers want him to i i totally agree with that i I would revise my statement to say that justin herbert would have the most team success and the most individual success but that is dependent on how he transitions to the pro level whereas you know joe burrow and tua are considered you never have a lock in the NFL, but they are more pro ready, more guaranteed to bring that kind of success than Justin Herbert will. I think. That- yeah, there are a lot of questions about Justin Herbert. Like, what's going on with his hair? Oh, dude, I like <laughs> it. Is he over eighteen? <laughs> <laughs> two two great questions. <laughs> great might be stretching it, but those are in fact two questions. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think with that. We're going to call it. So uh, from all of us here at the Q4 Podcast, from Anthony, Noah, and me, TJ. Hashtag it's been great Romo 2020. Uh, talking to you today. Hashtag Romo 2020. Hashtag Go Browns. Hashtag Go Browns. Hashtag Teddy got signed. Spoof for boof. Uh, and hashtag Kevin. And hashtag unresolved chargers hashtag <laughs> that we'll be coming up yeah. with later. Uh, <laughs> what was so- yours, Anthony? <laughs> Zippy zap or something. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag zippy zap. <laughs> Better than hashtag plug man, that's for sure. Uh, can, can you hashtag a noise? Because we could just do hashtag yeah, just like some crackling or something. <laughs> uh, from all of us here at the Q4 podcast, thanks. Thanks.